Thank you, thank you. Hey, uh, my name is Jason Doman. I am the youth pastor here at Alpine Church. Uh, and I just, I, I, I made this joke earlier, and I don't know if it'll go over well anymore, but um, I love coming to Brigham just because your guys' first service is at 10 a.m., which is amazing because it's not 9 a.m. And so I love that. And, and the second part is that Pastor Mike doesn't skimp on the toilet paper. I don't, you guys, uh, you are so blessed to not have the single ply in the bathroom. So uh, be sure to thank Pastor Mike on your way out today, if, if for nothing else, for that. Um, as a youth pastor, I, I, just, I like to start out my sermons just by saying, I'm sorry, and you're welcome. Because you just never know what, what's going to come out of my mouth. You just never know what you're going to get. And so it's always, it's always exciting. I think when I'm in the congregation, there's a youth guy teaching. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be good or really bad. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. It'll, it will, we'll have fun together, though. And uh, I, I'm really excited about this series. It has been so um, – we talk about the prodigal son a lot, okay? And especially in youth, like we talk about the prodigal son a lot because it's, it's a big thing. And there's so many characters in this story. And for most of us, we find ourselves kind of identifying with the younger son, Right? Like, oh, that's about me. Like, I was far from God. And now, now but it's not, it's not always a, about that. And I love this idea that we're, we're talking about that you can be a rule follower or a rule breaker. Right? There's, there's two ends of this spectrum. And, and uh, I'm lucky because it turns out that the number one qualification for being a youth pastor is to be a rule breaker. So it, it works out well for everybody involved. But we all fall somewhere on that line. Right? And, and so maybe some of you rule keepers are looking at the rule breakers like, shame on you. Well, Jesus has a different message for you guys too, okay? No matter where you're at on that spectrum, you can be far from God, but the idea is you're never too far. And so I just, have you guys ever lost something? Like something, maybe it's just something basic, right? Like your car keys or your wallet, cell phone, right? Like I, I feel naked without my cell phone. I'll just be honest. Like I am a little bit hooked to my cell phone. So, uh, so is Abby, apparently. Sorry, see, I can do that as a youth pastor. I can call my students out. So, um, But you lose something, and, and, and like a little bit of a nerve sets in, right? And like my wife loses her car keys every single day. Every single day, she's running around the house like a chicken with her head cut off, cut off looking for her car keys. And what do you do when you lose something? You, you backtrack, right? You trace your steps back. You try to think, where was the last place I had them? Where did I see them last? What was I doing last, right? And, and you go, but what about when it's something a little bit more expensive, right? Like a family heirloom or like a wedding ring or, or a kid, right? <laughs> like parents, if you've ever misplaced a child, that's immediate fear, right? Worst case scenario starts going through your head. You're like, I know that his body parts are already being sold on, uh, never mind, we'll just, <laughs> right? It's just worst case scenario in that. But what happens when you find that thing, right? It's just like this sense of, of relief and, and overjoy. Like you hug your kid tighter than you've ever hugged your kid. You hug your car keys tighter maybe, I don't know. But when you find something, there's just that, that just overwhelming sense of, whew, just because something that was once lost has now been found, right? And so as, as we go through Luke chapter 15, that's, the, that's kind of the big idea that we're going to see, this big theme is of the lost being found. And, and we're actually going to look at two other parables today that are part of Luke chapter 15. And Jesus uses these as kind of uh, stepping stones, Right? He's kind of building up to this, this main one, the prodigal son, but there's two other stories that he tells in there, and there's this big idea in Luke chapter 15, and that's that our God loves us so much that he searches for us. Our God loves us so much that he searches for us, right? Sinners who are broken and, and, and lost, he searches for us, and when we turn to him, he forgives us joyfully and lovingly. 
So when the lost have been found by Jesus, all of heaven rejoice. That's what the Bible says. All of heaven rejoice. And so that's where we're going to go. We're going to dig into that. And so if you've got your Bibles or your Bible app, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to begin right at the beginning in, in verse 1. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with, with such sinful people and even eating with them. Can you imagine the gall of Jesus to eat dinner with sinners? This guy, this guy, right? And so the, just context of what's happening is, is Jesus is, is ministering and teaching to anyone who will listen, right? He's not biased. He doesn't care where you've been, what you've done. He doesn't care what your past looks like, what you, what's going on in your life. He is going to teach you. And the religious elite are upset about it because Jesus is hanging out with sinners. And I love it because Jesus doesn't care. Right? He doesn't care what they think. He's going he's to go ahead and he's going to teach and he's going to minister and he's going to do his thing anyway. Now, the, the reason that so many people are coming to listen and to hear what Jesus has to say is because he's, he's the greatest storyteller of all times. Right? Like, I can't imagine what it would be like to sit and listen to Jesus teach. Because stories are, are, are so great and so powerful in these parables, this, this way that Jesus uses to teach. And a parable is just, it's, a, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Right? It's something simple, down to earth, that we can understand, but it has this, this much bigger idea behind it. And so Jesus, he uses these parables, these, these short stories, to present information in a way that engages his audiences. Okay? And, and like really, if you've read through some of these parables, man, it's just like, wow. And, and I can't, if you think about what the original hearers would have felt, like the, these, uh, the people, the original Jewish people who were hearing Jesus speak, like most of the things he talks about would have been just mind-blowing to them and earth-shattering to them. And, and so he, he, he tells these amazing stories, and he does it in such a memorable and, and creative way. And, and so last week, as we started to dig into this uh, parable of the prodigal son, we saw how this, this whole, this life of bad decisions just led the younger son further and further away from his father, right? And he just kept making worse decisions. So he, he disgracefully and disrespectfully asks his father for his inheritance, right? Before his father passed away. Like you just would not have done that in that culture, Okay, that when the Jew, when they heard Jesus telling this story, that would have been like when they heard that, it would have been the equivalent to us seeing somebody spank their child in public, right? We, <gasps> which is ridiculous, right? Even the Bible says, "Don't spare the rod." Now, I'm not condoning. Okay, I'm just saying, if your child needs to be spanked, don't spare the rod. All right. So, but it, this would have been so shocking to them to hear that this son is asking for his inheritance before his father has even passed away. Okay, and then he, his, the father gives him his inheritance, and then he, he moves away, goes off into a faraway land, right? And he, he just blows it all. He spends all of his father's money, spends all of his inheritance, and, and, and then in desperation, he comes back home. But here's the thing is when he did, when he came back home, he was willing to repent of his wrongdoing. Okay, and so t today we're going to see more, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper about how the father responds to his son. And more importantly, throughout Luke 15, I hope the, the thing that we see is, is how God, how our Father responds to us when we come back to him, when we turn from our sin. And so here's the, the first thing that we're going to see today is that God the Father chases down those who are lost. Okay, God the Father chases down those who are lost. My youngest son, who's, whose name happens to be Chase, uh, he, he's, he's, he's a pretty sensitive little guy, all right, and, and he does not like to get in trouble, 
which is a good thing because he doesn't get in trouble very much, but he does not like to be yelled at. And I remember one day, I, I don't know what he did, but I, I yelled at him, and he, he kind of you know, slunk away back down into the basement. A couple hours later, I was like, I'm going to go check on him, see how he's doing. I felt bad. You know, I shouldn't have yelled at him. So I go down there, go in his room, and he's not there. I'm like, okay, I'll go check a couple other rooms in the house, go check the bathroom because that's what little boys do now is go in the bathroom with their phone and pretend they're in there for an hour doing whatever, right? And, and so, nope, not in the bathroom. He's not anywhere else. I'm like, okay, backyard, go to the backyard, empty. Kind of starting to panic a little bit, right? I'm like, okay, did my, I think it was eight at the time. I'm like, did my eight-year-old actually try to run away from home? Is that, is that where we're going with this? So I, I, I get his older brother and I say, hey, go run over to a couple of his friend's house, see if he's there. I make some calls to parents. My camera, really bad dad. I lost my kid. Is he at your house? Right, the kind of walk of shame or the call of shame, if you will. Uh, still, still nothing. So we hop in the car. We drive around the neighborhood a couple times. Can't find him. Come back home. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to call the cops yet, right? I'm, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to hold it together. And so I do one more search around the house. Can't find him. Make a couple more calls. Get in the car. Drive around a couple more times. Come home. And I'm like, okay, this is it. Like, I'm just going to go check one more time, and then we're going to get the cops involved. And I go downstairs, and I go to his room again. And I'm, like, I'm running around. I'm, I'm yelling, right? Like an idiot in the house. I'm yelling for my child. And I, I go down to his room. And he, he, this was back then, he's grown up a little bit, but he was one of those kids who had like 50 plus stuffed animals on his bed, and I was just covered, I'm like, there's no way you can sleep on that. And I'm so mad, I just grab the comforter and I rip it off, there he is. And he's like, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to get in trouble. And I'm like, oh my gosh, right? Like I, and I'm torn right now because I don't know whether to grab him and hug him and love him or to kill him. And it was like, like, it could have gone either way, right? But I, I promise, I, I hugged him a little bit tighter that night. But think about this, this father in this story, like, how he must have been feeling that, that his son had, and like, and he knew that he was gone, right? For me, it was just like this panic of, like, where, where but the father knew, and, and, and worse than that, the father is probably pretty hurt in this situation, right? So now there's a broken relationship on top of the, the son being gone. And, and so you think about what, what he must have been feeling and, and he gives him his money, right? He gives him his portion of the estate. And again, that, that just would not have happened. This was not commonplace. The son is basically saying like, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I, don't, I just want your money. Right? That, that's what the son says. And so as, as the father watches his son go off into the sunset, I'm sure there was just this sadness inside of him. Right? And I'm sure he, he sat just at the gate waiting just day after day longing for his son to come home. And so we get to see this humanity in the father, right? the hurt and, and, and the weeping. And he longs for his son to return, and then he does. In Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 20, it says, So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So the day comes as his son comes home, and, and, and what happens is, is he doesn't get what he deserves. Right? The father doesn't give him what he deserves. At face value, in this story, the son deserved punishment. Okay, the son, there should have been consequences for what he did. Like, shame on him for, for dragging his family name through the mud. And the, the uh, religious elite would have agreed, right? The ones who were hearing this story, they would have been like, yeah, now we're going to see what the dad does, right? The dad's going get, to get his revenge, but that's, that's, that's not what happens. And I love that it says that he sees him from a distance, right? Because how do you see somebody far off in the distance? You've got to be looking, 
right? You don't accidentally see somebody. Like he was looking for his son. After everything that he had done, he was still looking for his son. And Jesus shocks these listeners by painting this picture of something completely different than what they would have expected. The father running to embrace his son. Again, Jewish leaders back then, they weren't hiking up their skirts and running. You didn't see that ever, right? And so there's, this, there's all kinds of things going on of, uh, that Jesus is shocking the listeners with. So he feels compassion, and he runs to him, he embraces him, and he kisses him. Because what once was lost is now returning. And so remember, again, we're going to look at a couple other parables. So this, this part of the story, it really solidifies some of the, the similar concepts that, that Jesus would have been talking about earlier in Luke 15, where he was painting this, this same kind of picture. So if we look at this, this parable, uh, chapter 15, starting verse 3, it says, so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it. Now, it, he's telling the story, right, of the, the shepherd, he's got 100 sheep, and he, and he loses one of them. And for me, thinking, like, if I had 100 sheep and I lost one, I'd be like, I still got 99. Right? The odds are pretty good, right? But, but Jesus says, no, this guy, he, he leaves the 99, and he goes out and looks for the one. Right? I'd be like, no, I cut my losses. But he goes and he looks for the one. Jesus is painting this picture of even just one being important. And so the, the shepherd, he goes and he runs after the one who is lost. For this parable, chapter 15, verse 8, says, there, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? So again, I'm thinking, man, I've got 10 coins, I lost one. No big deal, I still got nine. Right? But these coins, these silver coins, they're drachmas, Right? And a drachma was equivalent to basically one day's wage. Okay? So you better believe, like, if I drop one day's wage on the ground, if we had coins like that, right? If, if I drop one day's wage, like, I'm going to tear the house apart looking for that, right? And so the, the, the monetary amount's not really important here, but what the point is, is, is that that one was important. Okay? That one, she, like, she scours the house to find that one. And so this goes back to the intro, how I introed this. Like when you lose something, if you lose something of value, if you lose something that's important to you, you're going to do pretty much anything you can to find that thing. And that's the same way that God treats us, okay? No matter how far we might feel from God, no matter how lost we might feel, please, please know, please understand that, that we are extremely valuable to God, okay? You are extremely valuable to God. God is running after our hearts, and I think for so many of us, like at times we've, we've felt that, that there's, there's no way God could love me, right? I, I've done too much. I've done too much in my past. There's no way that God could love me. Or even the flip side of that, like, hey, I haven't done enough for God to love me, right? I haven't checked the boxes. I haven't done everything I need to do for God to love me. And we get stuck in this place that like something is disqualifying us, like our sin is disqualifying us from God's love or that he's angry with us. And that's why we feel so, so far from him, but that couldn't be further from the truth, Okay, that could not be further from the truth. Jesus is trying to get your attention. Okay, God is chasing after you. He is ready to change your life, and all you have to do is turn. All you have to do is stop going your way and go his way. So in the, in, in last week, we talked about the, the prodigal son, and, and really we see this, this perfect storm. 
Right? We see this, this perfect picture of repentance. The, the, the son, he's hit rock bottom. His perspective on reality has been changed. Like he's pretty much been smacked upside the head with reality. Right? And, and, and he decides, like, this is where I'm at, and he's got a decision to make. I can either just keep running. Right? I've messed up so much, my father will never take me back, so I can just keep running and get further and further away. Or I can turn and go back. And he thinks about his father's goodness, and he thinks, well, maybe, maybe he'll just take me back as a hired hand. Right? Maybe he'll just take me back as a servant. So he, he chooses. Instead of fleeing, he, he, he decides. He goes back, and when he, when he gets there, he takes complete responsibility for what he's done. Right? He, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. And now this, this word repent, right, it can, it can seem like a, uh, a pretty churchy word, but it does have a lot of significance. And this is where I got messed up last time. I apologize. All right. So there's, there's two different definitions. Okay? The, the first one, the Greek definition, uh, is a change of mind. Okay? When we repent, we, we, we change our mind. Now, the Oxford Dictionary version of repentance says uh, sincere regret or remorse. Okay, and it, it's really a combination of all of these things. There's actual uh, sorrow for what you've done, right? And there's two different, there's godly sorrow, which means I'm actually sorry for, for what I did. And then there's worldly sorrow, which just means I'm sorry I got caught, right? And so we have this, we want this godly sorrow that we're sorry for what we've done. And then, and then we turn and we repent and we turn back to God. We stop going our way and we go, we go Jesus' way. So sin is doing our own thing, going our own way. Repentance is turning back to God and going his way. And when we do, the Bible says that God and all of heaven rejoice. All of heaven rejoices when we do this, okay? Now, uh, Jesus confirms this in, in the parables that he, he shares with us. Man. Oh, here we go. This is actually where we're on. Okay. So this is talking about the sheep, right? The, the shepherd, he finds the sheep. It says when he, when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice, with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There's more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents and turns back to God than the 99 others who just stayed the course. And maybe you're thinking like, well, maybe I should sin more so they can celebrate in heaven a little bit, right? That's not what we're getting at here. That's, 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 not, that's not the point here, all right? Or the second one, when she finds the coin. Oh, and when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So th- this, this repentance thing, like it is, it is part of the entire Christian life, right? It, it's part of our whole walk from the moment we put our trust and our faith in what Jesus did on the cross for us from that moment until we come face to face again with Jesus, right? Repentance is part of that walk. It's not a one-time thing you do at the beginning. It's not, it's not just something you do at the very end, right? It's part of our entire walk of, uh, of faith. And when we repent, we get what we don't deserve, Right? We, we get, just like the son, the, the prodigal son, we get what we don't deserve, and so we take responsibility. Like We have to realize all of us have sinned against God. Right? All of us have sinned against God. That's just, that's, that's just the truth. Okay? And so we, we, we own up, we take responsibility for, for what we've done, and then we ask for forgiveness, and then we change the way we're living through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
All of that is involved in repentance. And when we repent, we get what we don't deserve, right? Because what we deserve, what the Bible says we deserve is, is death. Romans says that the wages of sin is death. So we deserve judgment. We deserve condemnation. We deserve separation from God, right? We deserve hell. But instead, what we get is God's grace. We get God's grace. We get God's love. God the Father responds with joy when we repent. Look what happens in, in the story. It says, but his father said to the servants, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. I love this picture that Jesus is painting. Right? He's, he's literally, this, this means that when one of us repents and we turn to Jesus, there is a party <laughs> going on in heaven. They are celebrating, and it's, it's, it's our past sin, it's our present sin, it's our future sin, right? It's all covered by what Jesus did on the cross for us, and they are celebrating in heaven when somebody turns and goes back towards God. And listen, like so many people think that God is just this kind of moral monster, right? That, that, he, that he's, he's disgusted or he's hostile towards sinners. Like there's churches out there who shame the sinners when they show up for church, that's the view that so many people have towards God. And even for us, like, we hold grudges, right? We hold grudges towards the people who hurt us, even though we're told to forgive, right? But it's like, if you've offended me, to hell with you, to the, to the place, not the swear word, okay? To, to the place, so we're, just so we're clear. But in these parables, Jesus, he reveals a God who loves us despite our sin, Despite our sin, right? In these parables, they break out in joy whenever someone comes far from home. Whenever somebody comes back, they break out in joy and all of heaven rejoices. The angels share in God's joy over every sinner who repents. See, the father is extravagant in his love towards his children. Okay, the father is extravagant in his love towards his children. Now, uh, I want to actually go back real quick to this verse because I, I think there, there's something that... that really needs to be pointed out here because we, we have to understand that there's this, there's this depth behind everything that's going on here. Okay, because remember the, 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 the son has done a few harmful things to the father. Their relationship has been damaged, right? He only cared about his dad's money. He didn't care about the relationship and then he wastes all the money and he, and he shames the family name. And again, this, this would have been so shocking to Jesus here. It's like they would have been expecting the father to reject the son, Right, or to punish him or to stone him to death, right? Like that, that the culture, that's what they would expect. At the very least, they would have wanted him to make amends, right? To work his way back into the family. And instead, Jesus paints this, this crazy picture of grace. This crazy picture of grace. He welcomes his son back into the family, just like Jesus welcomes us with this all out celebration. Like, what a difficult thing to do. Even, even with your own kids, right? Like, if you've, if you've hurt me, like, I, I, I kind of want you to feel the repercussions of, of that, right? If I'm being honest, like, that's, I, I, that's not the most Christian, that's not the most Jesus-following thing, but in my, in my mind, like, I want a little bit of retribution, right? And so we, we have that, and it, it, but again, look at what the, the father does. He says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening because we have to celebrate because the son of mine has returned. 
Right? He says, go and get the, the finest robe in the house and put it on him. The finest robe in the house would have been the father's robe. Okay? It would have been the father's robe. He's already given him his inheritance. He's already given him everything that he, he, he deserves. Way more. He says, go get the finest robe in the house and put it on him. He says, go and get a ring and put it on his finger. Most scholars believe that this would have been the family signet ring. Okay? So super valuable, but also this signifies his acceptance back into the family. Right? He's willing to accept him back into the family. And then he says, go get sandals and put them on his feet. Okay? The, the slaves, the hired workers, they didn't wear sandals. In fact, they usually carried the master's sandals. So by him saying, get the, get the sandals and put them on his feet, he's, he's not saying, I'm going to accept you back into the family as a hired servant. I'm just accepting you back into the family as my son. Okay? So, so the father's like, I don't care what you've done. I don't care. I love you. And he hugs him and he kisses him. Right? And he gives him his, his finest outfit. Right? He breaks out the Gucci and gives it to him. He puts a ring on his finger and then he gives him his Birkenstocks. Okay? Like the father is extravagant in his love towards his child. Let me give you guys just a, a quick, another definition. Okay? Sorry, should have went forward. Here we go. Extravagant. Okay? Exceeding the bounds of reasons as actions, demands, opinions, or passions, going beyond what is deserved or justifiable. Because this is how God's love is for us. This is what his love looks like for us. It's extravagant, it's limitless. It's beyond comprehension, it's undeserved, and it was so costly for God, but it's free for us. Because of God's grace, it's, it's free for us. And so back in verse 20, there's another thing. I, don't, I won't pull the slide back up, but there, he, Jesus says something about the Father in there. He says that the Father is filled with love and compassion before he runs to the Son. Now remember, this, this parable is, is an earthly teaching of, of something higher, right? And so Jesus, he knew exactly what he was saying. When he used these specific words that he was filled with love and compassion, he knew exactly what he was saying. If we look at Psalm 103, Verses 8 through 13, it says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from, as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. See, we see the father, he sees his son approaching from off in the distance, and he's filled with love and compassion. Those words would have closely mirrored a very common biblical phrase that all of these religious leaders who were hearing Jesus speak, they would have known exactly what he was referring to. Okay, because Psalms is, is just one of the few places where we see those terms used about Jesus, that he's slow to anger, that he's filled with love, that he is compassionate, right? So he, Jesus would have been calling attention back to Scripture in front, of the, in front of the religious leaders. They would have known exactly what he meant when he was talking about this. So Jesus' message here, it, it wasn't new, Okay, it wasn't anything profound, it wasn't anything just, just crazy that, that he was coming out with, but it, it wasn't new, it was just, it's something that every generation needs to hear anew. Okay, that God doesn't deal harshly with us as we deserve. He 
He's slow to anger. He's compassionate. He's filled with love. The prodigal son deserved to be rejected. We deserve condemnation. We deserve to pay for our sins. But instead, in in God's extravagant love, he gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us forgiveness. He, He gives us grace. He gives us blessing. He gives us celebration and more. Because that's the kind of God that he is. See, God loves us so much. He's so extravagant that he gives us, he gave us his most prized possession, his most precious possession when he sent his son down to heaven. Like Jesus leaves his throne in heaven and he comes down, he's born in this, in this poor, humble home, right? And he lives this perfect life. This, by the way, is something we, we could never do. Okay, I don't know if I shared this, shared this in the first service, but I, I tried once. I tried to go one day without the okay, This was years ago. This is a true story. Okay, I, I try. I'm like, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna get my coffee, and I'm gonna do nothing. I'm gonna do nothing all day. I'm gonna go a whole day without sinning. All right. So my alarm went off. I got up, went to go make coffee, and I stepped on a Lego. That my journey ended right there. Right there was so much sinning going on in that moment. Right, it was just over. So we. This is something we can never do. 33 years, he lives a perfect, sinless life. And then that still wasn't enough. He says, I'm I'm, going to allow myself to be captured and arrested. And I'm going to be put through this sham of a trial. I'm going to be found guilty and they're going to beat me, mock me, scorn me, spit on me, whip me. And then they're going to hang me on a cross and murder me for our sins. He was sinless, and yet he died for us. He took the penalty, the payment that we deserved. That's how much God loves you. Yeah, amen. Like that's, that's how extravagant God is with his love. And so if you don't know that God, if you haven't met that God, if you haven't put your trust and your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, today's the day. It's the most important decision you will make in your entire life is to put your faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. He defeated sin on the cross. He defeated death when he rose from the grave three days later. Don't wait. Tomorrow's not guaranteed, so don't wait. It is the most important decision you will make in your life. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we praise you because you are a God who, who loves extravagantly. You are a God who gives and God, your, your love is unconditional. And so God, I, I pray for anybody in here, regardless of where they fall on that spectrum, God, if they are just feeling like they're too far away from you, God, there's things in their past that, that, that are, that's haunting them, there's things in their past that they feel that disqualifies them somehow from, from your grace. God, I pray that you, you work in their lives, God, that you move in their heart to understand that nowhere is too far for you. God, thank you for for loving us enough to send your son to do what he did for us. Thank you for not leaving us stuck in a predicament where our own sin kept us from being with you. God, we we, we love you and we praise you, God. We we sing songs to you, God. We make a joyful noise to you, God. And and I I pray that we are striving to live a life that honors you. God, because it's not easy. It's not easy to live a Christian life. So God, I pray that we would have a boldness. I I pray that we would just 
God, that we would live differently than, than culture expects us to live, God, than what society tells us we should do because of who you are and because of what you've done for us. Thank you for being a God who loves, who forgives, and who lavish us, lavishes us, God, with gifts, <laughs> gifts we don't deserve, God. We love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.